We'll be reading from Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verses uh, 23 through 29. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they were when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to have you here with us this morning. We are continuing our series in the book of Hebrews, and the last couple of weeks we have spent in Hebrews chapter 11. We're not really doing character studies of the individuals who are listed in this famous chapter, but rather we're trying to discern what is the nature of faith and what are some of the threats to faith and how is faith exemplified in some of these different individuals. Over the course of the last couple of weeks, I have uh, been bold enough to say that Hebrews defines faith in three ways. The first of which is to take God at his word. The second of which is to have a foundational hope in the unseen future. And the third component to faith as defined by the book of Hebrews is as a result of these two things to act and live accordingly. Take God at his word have hope in what is unseen, and to act accordingly. As we have looked at this chapter, we've also seen that there have been some threats to faith, the first of which is time. By that I mean that people were made promises by God and they didn't readily come about as quickly as people anticipated and certainly not as quickly as we would like things to take place. Uh, Noah preached for 120 years, no one repented, and ultimately the flood came. Abraham was made promises about a great nation and becoming a great people, and he died with neither of those things being on his horizon. We, uh, so time becomes an enemy to faith because we know that God has made promises and here we are in 2022 and we haven't seen all of those promises fulfilled and so we still take God at his word and have a foundational hope in the things that are not seen. Another enemy of faith are consequences. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, things that are going on in life. And sometimes life is difficult and life is challenging. 
some of the people that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 went through circumstances that were incredible and and very difficult. And people around the world, even today, are suffering for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And time and circumstances stand as the enemy of faith. Today we're going to look at another enemy of faith. And perhaps this is, perhaps this is the most poignant of the challenges and that is fear 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 can cause us to waver in our faith just a little bit we'll talk more about that as we move through this chapter it's a fascinating chapter the subject of the chapter is Moses very familiar figure to any of us who spent any time in church Moses is almost always mentioned from the little toddlers all the way up to uh, us gray beards. But uh, we know a little bit about Moses, but I'll introduce you more to Moses. And so when you hear the word or the name Moses, what do you think of? Um, I, of course, naturally thought of Charlton Heston. <laughs> Long hair great beard, holding the two stone tablets. Charlton Heston was six foot three inches tall, an inch taller than I am, and that commanding, booming voice. Thus saith the Lord. That may be what Moses looked like. It may not have been what Moses looked like. I doubt he was six foot three. But the Bible does tell us a few things about Moses. It doesn't tell us anything about what he looked like. I can almost certainly guarantee you that he had a beard because most Hebrew men did. But let me just share with you a few things that are not necessarily ordinarily thought of when we think of Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, it has this to say. And there has not arisen a, pri a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. He was known for mighty deeds that God gave him to do, and terror was often associated with Moses as a result of those deeds. In the book of Numbers, it says this about Moses, and God is speaking again. Hear my words. Is there a prophet among you? I, the Lord, make them known through a vision. And I speak to that prophet in dreams. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth. Clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? 
an entirely different class of prophet. God didn't speak to him in dreams or visions. God spoke to him face to face. Moses heard his voice, and he is called the most faithful in all the house of God. That's a pretty extraordinary definition. Now listen to this next one also found in the book of Numbers. God is speaking again. Now the man Moses was very humble. More than all the people who were on all the face of the earth. I got to tell you. If I had face-to-face conversations with God and, and he communicated with me personally and, and my words were so terrible that nations were terrified of me, humility might be a challenge, you know? But he was the most humble man on the face of the planet. I don't even know what that looks like. I can't even picture what that kind of humility looks like. Maybe it looks like Charlton Heston, maybe it doesn't. But it's an extraordinary picture of this man, Moses. And so it's not surprising that we find him in this chapter listed as one of the great members of the Hall of Faith. But there in our text, we have a further description of Moses that's that's even more fascinating. Verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 11 says this about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents Because they saw the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now that is a verse that I really worked hard on this week, and I'll tell you why. I I doubt, I doubt there has ever been a parent who had a child who didn't think their kid was beautiful. I mean... Parents don't just say, ah, crud. (laughs) You know, it just doesn't happen. Parents think their children are beautiful. And so so Moses is born, and he was so beautiful that his parents, and what's being spoken of here is his parents' faith. We haven't gotten to Moses' faith. Parents' faith was so great that The king's edict was disobeyed, and we'll talk about that in a minute, because he was beautiful. So I've got to describe what this means. And so I did a lot of research, and I did a lot of study, and I read a lot of big books that didn't have pictures, which makes my head hurt. And There's not a a, a single conservative scholar that does not believe that there was something about Moses when he was born, that did not give the parents an indication that the hand of God was upon him. And the language indicates that, and the context kind of indicates that. And so we're talking here about something that goes beyond the physical appearance of the child. As a matter of fact, there's an ancient tradition 
outside the Bible that indicates Moses' parents actually experienced a dream saying this child will have the hand of God upon him. Now, whether that's true or not, the, the tradition has come down for about 2,500 years. And, uh, and so when Moses was born, there was something unique and something special about him, and his parents recognized that. And so because there was this king's edict, what they did was they built a, a bassinet out of reeds, and they covered it with tar. And because they were in Egypt... They put the baby in this reed basket and they hid the boy in the rushes in the side of the Nile River. Now the king's edict was this. There was a new pharaoh in town at this point in history and he had become very jealous of the Hebrew people because they were expanding. Even though they were an entirely a nation of slaves at the time and under the thumb and the power of the Egyptians, the pharaoh didn't like them. And he was afraid of the fact that they were multiplying and, and he was also jealous of them. And so what he did was he put down a law saying every firstborn, I'm sorry, every child that is born to a Hebrew woman needs to be killed by the midwives when it is born. And the Hebrew midwives disobeyed this edict or this order. And so what Pharaoh did was create a new order and he said, Regardless of whether or not you get there in time to kill the child, after the child is born, the child is to be thrown into the Nile River as food for the crocodiles. And we can presume, although this can't be definitively said, that the, the punishment for not doing that was death to the parents. Well, Moses was born and his parents saw the hand of God upon this child, and they hid him in the reeds. Now, there's two components to the parents' faith. The first of which is disobeying the command of the king. And I'll be really honest with you. At this point, we sit back and we say, of course, I would have done the same thing. The law of man in this case is so outrageous and so obviously against the law of God, I am at liberty to break that law. And most of us as parents would not be concerned about our own lives because we would be concerned about the life of our child. It's an extraordinary thing. The other part and component to their faith, I must add, is, is for three months to put your baby in a basket at the side of a, a river that is filled with crocodiles has an element to faith as well. Now, we were told that Noah, I'm sorry, that Moses' sister came and tended him and so on and so forth, and there was a lot of clandestine activity. But regardless of this, there is a whole lot of faith going on. I want to make a couple quick comments before we move forward, though. And, and, and the Bible and the scriptures are very clear. When the law of man tries to supersede the law of God, God's law is obeyed, not man's. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. 
And so we act in faith and we say, Lord, your law is greater than the law of man. And so I will honor you rather than man. And, and this instance is so, I don't, it's not fanciful at all, but it is so extreme that most of us would say faith is going to win out over fear in a case like this. You know what I'm saying? Really and truly. It's so extreme we would say, I can see myself being a faithful person here. But then I asked myself this week, does faith always win out over fear? Why is it that it would take that level of extreme for faith to win out over fear? Why is it that when the pressure isn't on and there are no consequence to me, like speaking in the workplace, having somebody really know and understand what I believe and what the Bible teaches? How is it that the minor consequences of potentially ruffling someone's feathers by pointing to a moral absolute that fear wins out over faith? And see, that's the kind of stuff that we face every day. The extremes are easier. Of course I'm going to spare my baby. Of course I'm going to disobey the law of man when it contradicts the law of God. But on a day-to-day -day basis, when there is no consequence, what wins? Faith or fear? It's a very telling and challenging question. Well, what happened was Moses spent three months in this interesting environment. Um, and, and we know the story. We've seen it so often from our youth up to now. Moses was discovered by the Pharaoh's daughter while she and her maids were taking a bath in the river. And Noah's older sister was watching him from afar, and she sees Pharaoh's daughter rescue the baby. And she pulls the child in, and we are told that she, too, was struck by the beauty of Moses. Same language. So somehow even a pagan could see whatever the hand of God was on this child Moses. And, and, and this is, if you know the story, you, you have to smile. Noah's sister sees Moses, I keep saying Noah, I'm sorry. Moses' sister sees him rescued and she goes to Pharaoh's daughter and says, my mother is a wet nurse. And you're not in a position to feed this child. If you would like, my mother will take on the responsibility of caring for this boy. 
And so Moses was nursed and nurtured and raised by his own mother until some time later. Five, six, seven, ten. We're not exactly sure of the age. And then Moses became the son of Pharaoh's daughter in the Pharaoh's household. So what you have is a major shift in, in, in Moses' life. He's the son of a slave living in a hovel that he doesn't own and his father doesn't own and his father works to support the government and has no freedom and owns nothing. And at some point in his history, he is taken into the hands of the wealthiest woman in the world. Now that's a shift. And, and he is given the finest education in the world. And, and now he's dressed like a little pharaoh. And he's running around the halls of Pharaoh's palace and the guards salute him when he's running around. And everything he ever wanted or didn't even know what he wanted is at his hands. You met, I mean, you want to talk about a mind-blowing shift in world perspective. That has got to be it. But he's had five or six years on the knees of a mother and father who were part of the tribe of Levi in Israel through whom the priesthood came. So he went to bed at night praying prayers to the one true living God of Israel and seeing his parents offer sacrifice. And so he goes into the house of Pharaoh. And then verse 24 of our text says this, by faith, taking God at his word, believing in the things that are unseen, and living accordingly, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, I don't want you to imagine you're living in Pharaoh's house, but think of the consequences of that move. Pharaoh's daughter believes that she saved this boy's life. She has raised him as her own and given him everything. At the very least, this kid owes me something. His life. At the very least, he should be grateful for all that he's ever received from my hand, the Pharaoh's daughter. And now the 21-year-old snot nose refuses to call me mom. Refuses to identify with my people. Refuses to maintain his life in my culture. There's again a radical departure in this faith of Moses the cost of this would have been significant not a few ruffled feathers in the workplace 
He refused to be called an Egyptian. And then it continues, verse 25. Choosing, keep in mind that word choosing, rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I want to do this in reverse order. What are the fleeting pleasures of sin? Was it that he was living in a brothel above a bar room? No, no, no. That wasn't the fleeting pleasures of sin. The fleeting pleasures of sin aren't what you and I think of when we think of sin. The fleeting pleasures of sin that Moses ran from was being identified as an Egyptian. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? It wasn't necessarily the behavior of Pharaoh's household. The fleeting pleasures of sin was being identified as something other than what he was. And so he chose to be mistreated being identified as a child of God. I hope I'm making sense. It's not like Moses made a huge shift just by leaving behind wealth and prosperity. He made an, a major shift in choosing an identity that was different than what he was raised with. That is the fascination. He chose to, rather to be mistreated and identifying himself with the people of God. You see, that choice right now may or may not exist for us. But in a way, it does for all of us. If you're in China right now, or if you're in Iran or Iraq or any other number of places I could mention, this choice is real and the cost is something we cannot measure. But Moses chose it because he took God at his word. He believed in what was unseen, and he acted accordingly. Now, there's one other component to fear, which is kind of social pressure. Okay, it's, you know, That goes beyond just the fear of a circumstance or a situation. Um, Moses grows up now being identified with the slave children of Israel. And God puts his hand upon him, and Moses becomes the deliverer, and, this, and the plagues come on Egypt, and, and God's preparing the people to leave Egypt, and, and the Passover comes. Okay? And so what we have is in verse 27, by faith... Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn may not touch them. We remember the story, God says, I want you to take a lamp and kill it and take the blood and paint it on the doorpost and, and the, um, of your door and when the death angel comes by, he'll pass over your house and all of these different things. Well, here's the funny thing about all this. Egyptians hated shepherds. 
and didn't like sheep. You may not have known that, but they didn't. And so they looked down on shepherds and they hated that thing. So can you imagine anything more offensive than a bunch of Jews traipsing their lambs through town and then cutting their throats into a bowl and painting their doorposts with blood? I mean, the slave quarters would have been someplace that the Egyptians would have been appalled by, let alone the Jews who were slaves who were having to kill their charges in these lambs to cover their door in blood. This is a pressure, pressure situation. And, and Moses is the guy that gets to deliver the instructions. All right? And, and then we have this other example, and it's odd that these things are, are put in line with Moses' faith. Verse 29, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. It, it, the way this verse reads, we're tempted to think that it was the faith of the people who crossed the Red Sea that was efficacious, you know? Like, they believed everything was going to be okay, and so they charged across the Red Sea. It was Moses' faith that's being commended here. And, and I'll tell you why I say this, because I want you to hear the people's response after this event. From Exodus chapter 14, it says this. The people said to Moses... Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Do you see the radical comparison between Moses, who didn't want to be identified as an Egyptian, but chose to suffer with the people of God, and the delivered people of God, who mocked Moses for being part of their deliverance. What an extraordinary thing. They were the people of God by birth. But they said, we want to be Egyptians. Moses is a Jew by birth, but raised an Egyptian and said, I want to endure as one of the people of God the miseries that come with that. That is a big fundamental difference between what faith really looks like and what a name is. I, I, I hope it's clear to you because it's, it's striking to me, this picture of Moses. It's absolutely extraordinary. Two more verses, back to verse 26. 
And listen to how the writer of Hebrews writes this. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, Moses didn't know Jesus' name. Okay, we've we, we got to be clear on that. But the writer is saying that what Moses did as identifying as a person of faith is what it means for you to do the same. You see, these people were facing potential hardship and time and fear as their enemy. And what did Jesus do? Jesus left the throne room of heaven, not the throne room of Pharaoh. He left the throne room of heaven to take on human flesh. And what did he receive? The reproach of mankind so that he could die like the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do we see all these parallels? And the writer of Hebrews is saying, Moses is a picture of that. Moses is one who understood that the fleeting pleasures of these world being identified with this world, I will choose the reproach of being a child of God. And then the children of God said, send me back to Egypt. Last verse, verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You see, Moses did it all. He took God at his word. He believed in the invisible, the unseen, and that was where his hope was, and he acted accordingly. I hope and I trust that none of us will ever have to endure what Moses did. I hope and I trust that we will not have to be facing those kinds of choices. But I'll be honest with you, when it comes to the choice between faith and fear, it's much more subtle for us. And quite frankly, we fail more often than we succeed. Because there isn't the consequence. The choice isn't that big. What do you think people would really think of us if they knew what we believed about the Bible? I mean, if people knew that we believed that the sanctity of marriage is between one man and one woman, that sex belongs solely there, that Jesus Christ is the only means by which man can have a relationship with God and that there is no other possibility and that he died on a cross and rose again on the third day so that relationship can be secure. I'm, I'm not being critical. I'm just saying 
often we're too afraid to say that without consequence. The consequence being ruffled feathers. Maybe it costs you your job, but a doggone sure isn't going to cost you your life at this stage of the game. It's a challenging bit of business, this idea of fear. And so Moses' parents and Moses himself is given to us as an example of fear versus faith. Let's pray. Lord, um, I desire to be clear. I feel lost in my delivery. But Lord, I ask that you would grant us the ability to give up the fleeting pleasures of sin and choose to be identified with the people of God regardless of the cost. To the glory of Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.